All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Sunday service. My name is Thomas. I'm on the pastoral staff here. Uh, glad you could join us today. Uh, if you don't know, uh, shout out to our women. They had a football game yesterday. So we give a round of applause to all the sisters who played. Um, I am most proud that nobody lost their temper. There's no fist fighting. We represented our church well. So that's the real win that's there. So it was awesome seeing everybody come back or come out and all the sisters who played. Um, and yeah, again, this is your first time visiting. We hope you could not just join us in worship, but uh, we, we do this once a month where we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and in light of that, we eat together. Um, that's, uh, we believe at our church, you experience church not just around the stage, but around the table. And so, uh, and this is for all the members, um, this is the one Sunday we ask, like, hey, let's try to eat with somebody who's less familiar. We eat with our friends every Sunday, but may this Lord's Supper Sunday always be a Sunday where we greet somebody, we invite someone around the table with us. And so glad if you're here and hope you can stick around if this is your first time visiting. Uh, and again, if this is your first time, uh, our church, we've been going through a sermon series through what's known as the letter of James. Uh, in the Bible, uh, there's actually a lot of people named James, but the letter of James, uh, most scholars believe that this James, he is actually the half-brother of Jesus. So he grew up with Jesus, and he is writing about to followers of Jesus who are scattered all throughout uh, the region. And a lot of scholars argue also that the letter of James, what makes it unique is it's the first letter written in the New Testament. So if you're a Christian in the first century, you didn't have a Bible besides the Old Testament. The letter you'd actually be using a lot is the letter of James. And that's why James, it's a very practical letter. Um, he doesn't really spend a lot of time explaining what the gospel is, but he does show what life looks like if you believe in the gospel. And so that's why uh, when we first started James, uh, the part one was all about how do we practice suffering in light of the gospel? What does it look like to go through trials and pain and hardship? Last week, we talked about what does it look like to practice listening in light of the gospel, which was really ironic because that was our family Sunday and all the kids were there, so it was hard to listen to the message. Even the recording was kind of all staticky. So, but yeah, that was all about like how can we listen and be doers um, of, of God's word. Uh, today, though, we're going to be talking about, or James, rather, he's going to be addressing how do we practice community and you know, this is a touchy topic sometimes for some of us, and we're actually planning to do a deep dive into community in the summer. Uh, but James, he addresses it today because community is actually one of the most important realities that you're going to experience. And what James wants to talk about is, hey, as a group of Christians, how do you share life together? How do you practice community together? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at the letter of James, chapter 2. If, or it's in your programs as well. And we're actually going to read verses 1, and we're going to go to actually only up to verse 8 for today. And at our church here, we believe that when we read the scriptures, that uh, our God is alive and he speaks. And so can we all rise together as we read from James chapter 2, verses 1, all the way to verse 8. So James writes, starting verse 1, My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also come in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was evoked over you? 
Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. This is the reading of God's word. Let me pray for us before we begin. Lord, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together, demonstrating our unity in you as a church, would you speak to us with our hearts be stirred by the Spirit, and I just pray we could walk away hearing what you want us to hear and being transformed, oh God, by your word. In your son's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. A few years ago, I remember my college roommate, he invited me to his birthday dinner at Buca de Beppo. Uh, I don't know why I remember the restaurant, I just remember going there. And I remember when he invited me to go to that restaurant, I arrived and I went into the back room and there was a table reserved for him and everybody was supposed to eat dinner together celebrating his birthday. And when I went to the table, I didn't recognize anybody sitting at that table. You ever have that happen before? Like I sat down and I realized, oh, my friend, he invited all of his close childhood friends that he grew up with and me, who just met him in college. And so we were together and man, that was an awkward meal because they would be talking about like their past memories and how they grew up. They have all these inside jokes. They talk about their classmates going, hey, have you talked to this person lately? And I was just like sitting there, like nodding. They didn't ask me any questions at all. They weren't like trying to get me in the conversation. So I'm just observing, hearing them talk. Because again, they all grew up together. And that's how it went the whole dinner. And so I remember afterwards when we were leaving, uh, one of them said, hey, let's, who wants to get dessert? Let's all go get dessert. They're like, oh yeah, let's go. You coming? And I was like, sorry, I actually have something. I didn't have anything. I totally lied. And the reason why I lied was I didn't want to go. And the reason why I didn't want to go was, again, they weren't like mean. They weren't being purposely malicious or trying to exclude me. I just felt like super out of place. You ever like have an experience like that before? Social scientists, they actually say if you experience that, there's a term for this. There's a a term that they give to experience this. It's called othering. Othering is on the slide here. It's, uh, It's the experience of someone not fitting in within the norms of a social group. If that's you, that you experience othering. This occurs at a group level, uh, at its worst, racism, sexism, classism. But it could also be experienced at an individual level, like that dinner experience that I had. And again, it's not necessarily that you are being disliked, but you experience discomfort just by being kind of an outsider in the group. Imagine this is like you, if you're in a community group at our church, imagine you're sitting with four people having a conversation after our time together, and all of a sudden they start talking about football, and you know nothing about football, but you're already committed because you're sitting there on the couch talking to these other people. You just feel kind of lost. You're you're, you're experiencing othering. Or imagine you attend a social event, and you thought it was going to be the super formal suit and tie event, so you wear a suit and tie, but it's actually casual, and you're the only person wearing a suit and tie. It's weird. That's othering. Or imagine you go to a meeting at work and it's filled with a bunch of men and you're the only Asian woman in that meeting. Feel out of place. See, this is what othering is and you you can't avoid it. Life, you're always inevitably going to experience othering. But the problem is if you regularly experience this, that's when problems take place because your brain, we are social creatures, your brain processes social exclusion as pain. We experience when we're not really included in something as something that's not supposed to happen as harm. And over time, it leaves people feeling unseen, unheard, unrecognized. And that's why historically minorities, women, the poor, they struggle finding their voice because they experience so much othering in their life. 
So othering, negative effect, all of us experience it. If you experience it too much, it causes damage. But do you guys know what the opposite of othering is? The opposite of it? Belonging. Belonging is the experience of fitting in, of being part of a group. It's like when you, if you go to a sports bar and you're wearing a Lakers jersey and you walk into the sports bar watching the Laker game and as you walk in, everybody in the room is also wearing a Lakers jersey. That's belonging. Or it's like when you go to a social event and you have no idea who anybody is. But all of a sudden, that back table, you see five of your closest homies there, and they're all like, we saved you a seat. Belonging. Or when you're in a group and you have this secret trauma, this thing that you went through, that you've been holding back for such a long time sharing with anybody, but you finally get the courage to share with a small group of people, and you discover every single one of them went through the same type of trauma you did. <sighs> That's belonging. That's belonging. You see, while othering is very life-draining, belonging, it is so life-giving. Because when you have a place of belonging, it's what people call a security of place. You just have a place where you could be you, a place of affirmation, of acceptance. And we all long for that. Where do you experience belonging in your life? Where do you look to experience belonging in your life? A lot of you, you look for family. Your family is where you belong. Although if you grew up in a broken family, if your family kind of uh, has issues, it's hard to feel like you belong there. Some of you look to your friends, although over time, friends change. So you have to always look for new friends. Uh, some of you look to your workplace, your coworkers. You want to spend time with them. But again, sometimes our job, we don't find people we necessarily go along with. Some of you look to the gaming community. You play uh, COD. You play whatever game is out there, and that's where you have a sense of belonging. Some of you join CrossFit, and you want to work out, but you also want to belong somewhere, so you join that community that's there. Some of you go online, you look for mom groups, dad groups, suffering groups, whatever it might be, and you want to belong somewhere. And some of us here, or actually probably all of us here, a lot of you probably have looked in the church, the church community. I know a lot of us, if you're like me, you visit a church, and when you go to a church, yeah, you like, you want to find good preaching, you want to find good worship, you want to experience good vibes. Uh, But I know when I was looking for a church, I wanted to find a church community where there was a potential to belong. Is there a potential for me to belong here? And I know for me, I visited so many different churches because, not just because I like visiting churches, I couldn't find a place to belong. It was really hard. It's really challenging. And my guess is a lot of you are like that. When you're here, you want a place to belong. And so question to ask is, how can we make our church a community where people can experience not othering, but belonging. How can we do that? And this is where the letter of James is very comforting. Because James, we learn from him that this is not a modern problem. This isn't like a Western problem, an Asian American problem, a 21st century problem. This was a problem that people always faced. Because it's happening in the churches and the communities that James is writing to. They are struggling with this idea of how can they belong together. And James has something to say. In chapter 2, in the verses we just read, verses 1 to 8, we're going to learn that he says three things, and I'm kind of modernizing the terms just so we can understand it, where he talks about three things regarding this issue. Number one is he's first going to talk about the problem of othering, 
Why do we experience that with each other? Second is the reason for belonging. How can we actually have a sense of belonging in the community? And lastly, the practice of belonging. What can we do to practice this together? So the problem, the reason, the practice. First, the problem of othering. So James, uh, he is writing this letter, not just because he's the brother of Jesus, uh, but he was actually recognized as a leader in the early Jesus movement. So after Jesus died and Christians believed that he rose again, and the church all of a sudden started to become formed because they would gather together, and James is one of the people who stood out, who kind of led the charge. And when you actually saw the, the church that James pastored and the church that kind of moved in Jerusalem, they were a community where like, dude, these guys, these girls, they like belong to each other. Uh, a snapshot of that is in the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 44. Look how um, Luke describes the church in verse 44, chapter 2. He says, all who believed, they were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. That is an awesome picture of what a group that belongs together looks like. Think about uh, for those of you who are part of ASB in your high school and you loved high school. I did not love high school, but for those of you who loved high school, awesome, good for you. That's great. ASB, you probably loved it. That's like the ASB crew. You're like, dude, we're just like together here. Some of you, it was like your college freshman year. I loved college, dorm mates. You got to just stay all night together. You just kind of share your food together. You hang out all the time. Awesome times. Or maybe you went on a short-term mission trip and you just bonded with that 12 group of people. You're like together. You're like a group that's like united. That's what was happening in the early church. The early church, they're experiencing this bond together, this community where they belonged. But by the time James writes this letter, James chapter 2, that's a long gone memory. 15 years has passed since Acts chapter 2. And what we actually see in James is he hears from the different communities that something's happening. Something's happening where there is starting to become this fractures and division and so forth. And James tells us what's actually going on. Look at verse one, how he diagnoses this. In chapter two, James verse one, he says, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. James says, you know what the problem is? This word favoritism in the Greek, it's literally means to receive the face. Meaning you look at someone's face and you either deny it or you receive it. In other words, modernized term is uh, you are looking at somebody and you are treating them based upon the way they look. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, he's an author. He wrote this book called Blink, and he has a modern term for this. It's called, I don't know if you've ever heard of the term thin slicing. Think of like a slice of bread. You slice it very thinly. Uh, what he says is, you imagine um, when you take the SATs, remember tutors, they'll tell you, hey, if you, don't, if you get stuck in a question, you know what you should do? Just whatever feels right. The first instinct you have, just guess that answer, and you're probably right. Uh, thin slicing, that's pretty much what it is. And what Gladwell says is a lot of people, we thin slice one another. We thin slice people, meaning that when we look at somebody, we evaluate them, we check their vibes, and in that few split seconds, based on our gut instincts, we could determine if we're going to get along with this person, if we like this person, if we don't like this person. When I read that by Gladwell, I was like, that's awesome, because I do that already. I always do that. I love that. So I could just internally judge people and check their vibe and shoot. And usually I'm right. I love that Gladwell. That's what Gladwell tells us. Yeah, you got to do that because you got to save time, be efficient. And again, that might be really helpful when you take your SATs. Might be really helpful when you try to network or even try to find friends. But that is devastating when you're trying to build a community. 
a devastating practice. And James tells us, he gives us an example of how that plays out in verses two to four. James says, this is what's happening in the church. In the church, in verses two to four, chapter two, just to paraphrase, James, he says, oh, I hear that when you guys gather together, there's a person who comes in wearing gold jewelry and the little word is bright clothing. So he's like, a, like an NBA player, like just like flashing everything. And everyone looks at that person and you have another person come with no jewelry and they have raggedy clothes. And what he hears happens is that the NBA player with the flashy clothes, what the people will do is the church ushers, they will grab the person and go, oh, sit up here in this nice chair versus the other person who has raggedy clothes and no, no jewelry. They'll say, oh, uh, we have the floor. You can sit there or you can stand. It's your choice. And when James hears that, he's like, you know, that might be the way you, you expect treatment in a restaurant in a concert, in a nightclub, but not in the Christian community. That should not happen when the church gathers. Now, fortunately for us today, I don't think we have to worry about that. Like if someone came wearing super flashy clothes in our church, we'd all like roar our eyes going, who does this person think they are? I'm pretty sure nobody would show favoritism in that person at all. But just because we wouldn't do it that way, don't think it wouldn't happen. We do it in different ways in our times together. Uh, Years ago, I had a friend, he's a pastor, he texted me and he said, Tom, guess who came to our church service today? Jeremy Lin. And this is like at the height of Lin's sanity. This is like right after New York Knicks. This is when he was playing for the Lakers. He's like, dude, he came to our church service. And I was like, that's awesome. And I remember thinking like, wow, why did Jeremy Lin go to this church service? Like it wasn't like one of those big mega churches. It was just like a small Asian American church that's kind of randomly out there. And I was like, oh my gosh, what if Jeremy Lin came to our church? That'd be interesting. I never even thought about that. What would happen if Jeremy Lin came to our church? I don't know everything that will happen, but I know some things will happen. I know if Jeremy Lin visited our church on Sunday, I would never have to worry about anybody welcoming him. Someone will go up to him. Somebody will say, hey, welcome to our church, brother. I'm super confident in that. I know Jeremy Lin, he's like, hey, I heard you have a lunch today. I'll check it out. And he comes to our cafeteria. I do not have to worry that somebody's going to sit with him. Some of y'all are going to sit next to Jeremy Lin. I know that would happen. If Jeremy Lin said, you know, I want to get plugged into this church. How do I get plugged in? Dude, I will have like a wait list of a group of y'all who want to help Jeremy Lin get plugged in. Why? Why is that? Because he's Jeremy Lin, Right? He's famous, he's good at basketball, he has a blue check next to his Instagram account. In other words, he has clout. He has status. And if we're really honest, we kind of like clout. We like status. That's something that we're chasing after ourselves. And that also reveals why for some of us, we feel it's difficult to belong in a church because a lot of people here, when, or not even just our church, but just church in general, when they say, I struggle with community, I struggle belonging here, sometimes I get confused. I'm like, aren't you part of a community group? Don't you have, like, friends here? And they're like, no, 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 I have a group, but I want to be part of that group, this group here, the inside crowd, whatever the inside crowd is. And so we have this struggle where, like, yeah, that's what it means to belong, is people who are of worth, of uh, value, of people who seem like they have some type of status, that's when I belong. You don't really want to belong, you want status, you want clout. Now, some of you, you could care less if Jeremy Lin came. You're like, Jeremy Lin, whatever. You're not chasing clout, but you're very OC where you are chasing comfort. Comfort's your main thing. So who do you reach out to? Who do you go to on a Sunday? Your friends, 
your kids, mutual friends, somebody in a similar life stage as you, somebody that someone else knows because you feel comfortable with them. We are down to hang out with that person, to spend time with them. And we do that all the time. I do that, whenever I go to a wedding, after the wedding's over, it's like that awkward moment of who's here and I'll look who's the Asian person, who's a parent, who's somebody I know, I'll go straight to them. And again, very normal, very natural. But if that becomes the ethos of the church, If the church community functions that way, it is completely contrary to what the church is about. The church is not meant to be a space like that, but if you turn it into that, it it morphs into something that the church was never meant to be. Pastors Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop, they say it like this, quote, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be with people of similar life experience. It's entirely natural and can be spiritually beneficial. But if this is the sum total of what we call a church community, I'm afraid we've built something that would exist even if God didn't. And they're right. They're absolutely right. So let me ask a quick question, specifically to our members especially. What do you think of our church community members? Do you feel confident if you brought a friend here that we would treat that person and welcome them like Jeremy Lin? Do you feel confident that they would, someone would sit next to them just like we would Jeremy Lin? Do you feel confident if you brought somebody that we would want to connect them just like Jeremy Lin? Here's my personal opinion, my personal evaluation as I look at our church. I think we actually do a very, very good job of welcoming. Meaning, hello, how are you doing? Where are you from? I think we actually do a pretty good job. Uh, again, you might have their opinion, but I think, no, we're pretty good. In fact, I'd say we do a pretty good job of connecting. Meaning like, hey, tell me more about yourself. Hey, you know, one day we should meet. I think we actually do a pretty good job of connecting. Just my opinion. But this third category, I think we struggle with. Helping people to belong. In fact, it's not just us. Any church community, it's hard. People will sometimes tell me, hey, I'm going to visit a different church because I want to belong somewhere. Good luck. It's really hard. It's very challenging. Not just in communities, but any type of community, church community, whatever it is, it's very challenging. And the problem is not because we're all just too shy, we're all introverts, or we're all too tired, or we're all too busy. Because again, if Jeremy Lin came, all of a sudden we were, we're ready, right? The problem is something's wrong with our hearts. Like we're not motivated by the right things. There's something kind of that's there that's going on, and it needs to change. And that leads to the second part, the reason for belonging. Why does James say this type of behavior, favoritism? Again, you see it everywhere in the world, but it has no place in the Christian community. Why does James say that? My, I have an older, older son. He's about seven years old. Loves basketball. Loves it. He is a Laker fan, but his favorite player is Steph Curry. So right now, there's a dilemma. If you don't know, the Lakers, they're playing the Warriors in the playoffs, Right? And so it's, you know, what do you do? And I remember I told my son, what are you going to do? And my son, he said, can't I cheer for both of them? And I'm like, no, son. You cannot do that. You know why? Because if Curry plays well, the Lakers will lose. But if Curry, if he doesn't play well, we have a chance of winning. So you can't have it both ways, bro. You got to cheer for Curry or cheer for the Lakers. That's, that's the option. And James, he's saying something similar. By the way, I was much nicer about that, so I don't think I'm a bad dad. But uh, James, he also says this, I think, in a nice way, where he says, you can't 
have it both ways, where you profess what you believe as a Christian, while all of a sudden you're showing favor to certain types of people. Notice when James tells people, hey, favoritism should not happen in this Christian community. Notice how he subtly ties this to Jesus. Uh, it's interesting, the letter of James, uh, Jesus is only mentioned two times by name. Chapter one, verse one of James, and chapter two, verse one, which is right here. And notice how James describes Jesus. It's a very particular description. Verses one again. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith and our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Of all the descriptions he gives Jesus, why on earth does he call him glorious here? What does it mean to be glorious? Uh, it's a Christian cliche that we often use for the glory of God, but like, what does it literally mean? Glory, it's like most literal form, it's most literal definition, it means weighty, weight. Meaning, what's weighty in your life? What has a lot of weight, value, importance, That's what the word glory is often used for. And so one last time, this is the last time I'll mention his name. Why is Jeremy Lin glorious to us? He has things that are very weighty to us. Fame, status, money. These are things that we chase after ourselves because we are told by society, if we have those things, it will make you valuable, important, glorious. There is now weight to your name. That's why whatever school you get into, if you get into that school, glory. If you get that job, that position, glory. If you get that type of financial uh, column that's there, glory that's there. That's how we see it. Because we live in a world that values money, power, and fame as glorious. And yet, in the midst of this context, not just today, but even the first century, James has the audacity to say, but Jesus, we profess he is the glorious one. And what's really interesting is that what makes Jesus so glorious, it's not the fact that Jesus was powerful or had high status, even though he did. But what makes Jesus so glorious is the fact that he gave up his power. He gave up his status. Jesus, we profess as Christians, he is the son of God. And yet for our sake, he became human and walked among us. Jesus, we profess, is rich. All the kingdoms of the world are his. And yet for our sake, he became poor. Jesus, he was all-powerful, almighty creator of the universe. And yet when he came down, he did not conquer his enemies, but he died for them. In other words, Jesus, he is someone who we exalt as the glorious one. But his glory is completely contrary to how our culture defines glory. And this is why when he forms a community... He does not choose a community based upon our power, our might, our status. But who does he build a community around? Verse 5, look what James says. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? This is God's MO. This is Jesus' MO. When he chose his 12 disciples, it wasn't the most powerful at the time. But they were these uneducated fishermen. People who followed him that he invited to come with them, they weren't those who were influential, but it was the poor, the prostitutes, the sick. Because these are the people where even though they experienced otherness from everybody else, they got to experience belonging with Jesus. And that's exactly the type of people Jesus wants in his kingdom. This is what glory is in the kingdom of God. And even and through Jesus and even through life, you experience that there's something true about that. It's not attaining power status, but it's letting it go. It's giving it away. 
Uh, I mentioned this before, but David Brooks, he's a writer for the New York Times. Uh, he says, you know, every single person, you always begin your life trying to establish your career, trying to establish property, trying to find romance, trying to uh, go through as many experiences as possible. That's why all of us are traveling so much. That's why all of us, we try to just get that first house. We try to, again, make it and work really hard to establish a career. We try to find that love that's out there. And David Brooks, he describes this as, the if you're doing that, you're climbing what he calls a, a mountain. There's a mountain you're climbing. He calls it the first mountain. And usually what happens is in your 20s to early 30s, you're climbing that. And if you are fortunate you will get all those things and be totally not happy if you're fortunate. And when you get to that place where you have your career, you have, you're married, you have kids, you have your house, for some reason, even though you travel the world, you're just not happy. And so what happens is when you hit that mid-30 mark or 40 mark, uh, it, you, one temptation is you got to go back down that mountain and try a new career, a new spouse, a new experience. And you climb that first mountain again, and David Brooks says, and that is something that you should not do because what you're really needing to do is you have to climb the second mountain. Because that first mountain, that's all about your ego. Your ego is shaky, so you need a place of security. You need something to establish yourself because you think that's what the greatest joy is in life. That's glory. But the second mountain is not about ego. It's about serving others, where you realize all of a sudden that giving is actually far greater than receiving. Sacrifice is greater than comfort. Service is greater than security. And when people go through that, and some of you know what I'm talking about, what's happened in that second mountain? Your definition of glory has changed. You understand exactly what true glory is, what true value importance is, and it looks, ironically, strangely, a lot like Jesus, who Jesus is, what he has done. And when Christians, when that becomes their vision of glory, that's what the community is about. Radical things happen. Radical things happen when the community does that. A lot of you work in uh, the medical field. A lot of you are nurses, OT, doctors, or so forth. Do you guys know how hospitals were invented? Not just in the U.S., but just in the world. Hospitals, how were they invented? A lot of us just presumed that they were always there. Mm -mm. You know, in the New Testament, when Jesus would visit someone who was sick, You remember where he would always go? To their houses. Because that's how you take care of the sick back then, in your home, and a physician would come to you. You know how hospitals started? 350 AD, 350 years after Jesus died. What happened was the city of Rome was ravaged by plagues, and all of a sudden, a group of people, they decided there's so many sick people, we have to open our homes to not just our family, not just our friends, everybody. And so instead of physicians going to you, you came to the physician. And this was radical because nobody did this. You never cared for somebody who wasn't put out part of your tribe, your kin. And yet this group of people here, they all of a sudden start caring for strangers, for people outside their city, people outside their races. Nobody did this until this group of Christians, they decided that we have to do this. Why? Because they saw the true glory comes in serving, giving, and offering yourself. Every single human being has value and worth, and you find glory when you serve and give your life to them. That's the radical thing that Christians do when they have a different definition of glory. How about for you? Do you have that vision of glory in your life? I think for a lot of us here, it's hard to have that and you know, even know how to connect that stuff. What does this have to do with belonging to a community? And this would be my, my proposal. One reason why I think we have a, large, a hard time belonging here at this church is because we really don't know if we belong to God. A lot of us, we profess it, we say it, but do you really think you belong to God? Like, do you really believe God who leads this community, 
He actually invites you and welcomes you here. I see a therapist regularly. I have issues. I see him all the time. And、um, I remember one time I was sharing with him. He was sharing with me. You know, it's I find it really weird that not he didn't say weird. He said I find it really interesting that you always report your emotions to me, but you never show me your emotions. I was like, whatever do you mean? And he's like, well, right, right there. Like, like, what's going on there? Like, you never. And what he meant by that is, I'll tell him, man, on Monday I was really sad, but I'm okay today. Last night I was going through a bout of depression, but I'm cool right now. He's like, how come you never like let me see you in your depression, or let me see you sad? And I was like, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. And obviously he made like a weird U-turn. He's like, hey, can I ask you a question? Like, do you think I? Do you believe I like you, Tom? And I was like, well, wow, what do you mean by that? He's like, like if, if I wasn't your therapist, if I just if you're just a person, a human being that I met, like I'd want to hang out with you. Like I genuinely mean that. I'd want to like grab a beer with you. I'd want to just spend time with you. Like, do you do you believe that I'm telling the truth? I'm like, yeah, actually, I I do. He's like, okay, second question. Do you believe if you shared like your sadness or you shared your feelings with me right now, that I wouldn't judge you at all? In fact, I'd feel closer to you. Do you believe that? I was like, yeah, I do. He's like, okay. How come you can't do that then?、And、I was like, I don't know.、It's、so weird. Like there's like this weird disconnect that's there, where I believe this and yet it's so hard for me to like experience that. And I think for a lot of us, that's true with us and God. C- can I tell you something? If you're a Christian, I-, I know you're a sinner. I know we're totally depraved. I get that. I- like we are sinners. We're the holy God. I totally get that. But if you are in Christ, can I tell you? You know, God really likes you. Like He really likes you. Like there's nobody else He'd want to spend time with in the whole world but you. Like, do you really believe that? Like, do you really believe that God, He delights in you at this very moment? No matter what you did yesterday, this past week, that God, He really, really, really likes you. And if you want proof, look what He did at the cross. Look what He did to the extent of how He wants to demonstrate how much He really, really, really loves you, wants to be with you. A lot of us, we, we go, yeah, yeah, but you don't really believe it, and that's why here at this church we need to say that so regularly. That's why parents need to say that all the time to their kids. We don't believe it. Really, in light of what I've done, like we just can't really connect that truth into our hearts. But let me tell you, you need to really know at this church. This is what we believe. This is what God says. He loves you. He wants to be with you, and He wants you to. Experience that love, which is hard. How do you experience that? For some of us, it's like that moment of prayer, and you just kind of experience it. Man, when that happens, that's awesome. Precious moments. But you know, you don't have to just have those precious moments where it's just you know internal private prayers that are there to experience that love. There's something called the body of Christ. He calls his church not just a community, but the body of Christ. His hands and feet, meaning you could experience God. His presence with his people. That's why a lot of people they find themselves believing in God not by reading a book, but for some reason being with people. It's really fascinating because that's what the body of Christ is, and that's what the challenge is for us as a community, as a church. How can we be the body of Christ where we can belong to each other? And that leads to the last point: the practice of belonging. What is this most important thing a community needs? For this to be a place for people to belong, it's very simple. James says in verses eight to nine, look what he says. 
Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If you are love your neighbor as yourself, and you are doing well. James is saying when you show favoritism, you are breaking something that's called the royal law. You're committing something that's actually the, the royal law, the love your neighbor as yourself. It's uh, the most repeated Old Testament law by Jesus. And Jesus says it's a summary of the entire Old Testament. If you want to just know what the Old Testament says, it's love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so James, what he's saying is the opposite of favoritism is actually showing love to each other, love in this way. And when you love each other as your neighbor, as yourself, belonging starts to happen. You can't love everybody, but you can love anybody. That's when a community starts looking at the community that Jesus is talking about. Recently, I was trying to connect with these two pastors. One pastor, he's a pastor, actually both pastors are pastors of a large church. And I had a mutual friend who knew both of them. And I said, hey, do you think I could could get connected? Would they meet with me to have some questions? And he said, oh, okay, yeah, sure. But just to warn you, that first pastor, this one pastor here, he's actually uh, really busy. So don't be surprised if he doesn't respond to you or if he can't meet with you because he only meets with really important people. And I was like, ooh, ouch, got it. He's like, but this second pastor, he's actually even busier, but I'm pretty sure he'll meet with you because this guy, he has a reputation. He treats everybody as important. I'm like, ooh, I like that. And I think James, he would look at that second pastor going, you are, do- you are loving well. You are doing well. You are practicing the law of love. And this is what the community of Jesus is supposed to look like. We love people simply because they're people. We love people because, you know what the clout and the status is? It's the fact that they are just people. And I feel like a lot of us here, we know this. We heard this. We know, like, yeah, we should love. We should love people like this. But you know what's often missing in the church is we hear this, but we're not practicing it. Uh, you ever been to, uh, you know, take karate or taekwondo or jujitsu? You know how it goes if you ever took in those classes. If you don't know, you go to the class where you're your, your gi or whatever it is, and the instructor will teach you a move, and you learn the move, and they'll go, okay, now break. And you find a partner, and you practice the move, and that's how you get better. It's uncomfortable, it could hurt, but that's, you're practicing and you practice the move, you get better and better. Now imagine if you went to this jiu-jitsu class or this karate class and you learn the move, he's teaching you, you go, that's awesome. He goes, okay, now find a partner. You just choose never to find a partner, you just bounce and go home. You won't ever grow. You can't grow in that skill and that kick. And yet this is why a lot of communities, a lot of churches, we struggle to become a place of belonging, we struggle to be a place of love because we are only learning but we are not practicing and you cannot grow unless you practice. Our church, I showed this chart before where this is how most churches function. There's a little triangle up on the screen. Is it up there? Triangle up there. There we go. Uh, next slide. Right now is teaching. We are teaching you, hey, you should love each other. Let's be a loving community. And if we ended here and that's it, this is a TED talk. That's all. Do with it as you will. What needs to happen to change? It's not just teaching, but you need to practice. Get the teaching into your body. Let your body experience the teaching. Let your body express the teaching. Let your body practice it. And don't do it alone, but do it together. We do as a community. And whatever we fall short, whatever hardships are there, this is where we trust in the spirits to empower, to refresh us. Don't worry, they are helping set up lunch so they're not just leaving in the middle of a sermon. They're like, I forget this stuff. <laughs> We're out of here. This is, this is how you grow. This is how you change. And the reason why for a lot of us here, we're not really growing in love is because we learn a lot about love. 
but we're not practicing love. The church is meant to be a place where you practice, not just a TED talk where you listen, but it's like a gym where we actually do it. How do you practice this? What are the arenas where we practice this? Where do we practice this? Let me give you a couple examples. Engaging people after worship. Man, I, I am an classic introvert. You know what I want to do after, as soon as service is done? I want to bounce like during the last song. Like that's me. If, it, if I wasn't like a pastor here, I would probably do that. Like but I have to get the benediction. So I have to be here. But my natural flesh, just go. Like no one notices. They're all closing their eyes. Like, you know, just go. But when I do that, it's like, wait, but no, that's actually a precious time. It's an awkward time. It's an interesting time. Uh, but practice is awkward. Yeah, practice can feel awkward. It's a time of love. Take 10 minutes, just spend time together. Or here's another arena. Sunday opportunities, like grabbing lunch together. You know, I, I love eating Taco Bell after Sundays. Like, I just think about Taco Bell. Man, I, I just want to eat Taco Bell by myself watching a game. But when there's a lunch here, I'm like, you know, that this is a practice. A practice to love. To spend time and share with people who I probably would never have, in my natural inclination, have shared with before. Here's another opportunity. Uh, showing up to community groups. You know, community groups, again, it's a Wednesday night for me. I have so many things I could do on a Wednesday night. Like, man, I'm tired, I have work, I have kids. But I see this, like, no, this is actually about practicing love. I'm not just learning love, but I'm practicing it. Or if you want to be like black belt, like jujitsu black belt, invite people for a meal of coffee. There's actually, uh, uh, we always joke in our pastoral staff, there's a member of our church, like he became a member, and he's just like reaching out to people to get coffee all the time. We're like, dude, that guy's getting his black belt, man. Like, he's like learning to love. Like, it's, I'm sure it's not easy. I'm sure every lunch is, you know, sometimes it's awkward. But that's what you're doing. You're practicing. You're practicing. And then when the church is doing that, when the church is actually practicing that, man, something starts to happen where the church becomes this strange place where people feel welcomed, where they feel like they belong. And ironically, you start to feel like you belong as you are doing this. It's really fascinating when this takes place. And I know when you see this stuff, it could be intimidating. Like, well, what do I even do? Like, how, how do I, what do I even talk about people? Or how do I even approach this? Uh, this is one thing that I find the command of, that Jesus gives really helpful. Love your love pe- their neighbor as you love yourself. That last part, as you love yourself, that's really helpful for me. You know why? It means, how do you love people here? Love people the way you'd want to be loved. Do you know how, what makes you feel like you are belonging here? What helps you feel like you're plugged in? Uh, I realized this when I visited different churches. When I visit different churches, sometimes I'll walk away from that church going, that church was really unwelcoming. Or I'll walk away going, man, I should go to that church. But, you know, I remember here, but you know, that's a great church. Like, that, they really loved me. And I had to figure out, like, what is the difference? Like, why do some churches make me feel loved and other churches don't? And this is for me. It's just me. Uh, I realized on Sundays, when I have two to three meaningful conversations with two to three people, I feel really welcomed. Like, not just like, hey, how's it going? Oh, where are you from? Oh, awesome. See you later. Not that, but like, hey, so where are you from? Tell me your story. And I have, like, a meaningful conversation, like, five minutes or something like that, with, like, two to three people. I am good. I am ready to go home, and I'm ready to come back to that church. That's just me. And, you know, because of that, you know what I try to do here? I try to be one of that two to three people for people here. Because that's how I experience love. And I'm sure some people, that's how you experience love. You might be different. You might be like, dude, that doesn't mean anything to me. You know what helps me is when I eat lunch with people. When, man, when people invite me to eat lunch with them, I just feel like they actually want to spend time with me. Be that person to people. Invite people. Maybe for you, it's like, actually, Sundays doesn't do anything for me. It's when I hang out with people midweek and we grab coffee or so forth. Dude, open your homes. Imagine if people started doing that. Again, this would be a place of belonging. 
This will be a place where you start to belong as well. This is where people will experience how you belong to the body of Christ. And so, and so as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, um, all of us here, this is kind of our practice, where we are expressing our unity in each other, that we belong to Christ and therefore to one another. And we invite you to also take advantage. Let's keep the spirit of the Lord's Supper together. Share a meal, love each other, help each other to belong. Because we need this. People need this. Our community needs this. And so can I pray for us before we go into our next part as we break bread together? Let me pray for us before uh, we celebrate all together as a community. Let's pray.